Hello, friend. Welcome to Originality Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Dalton, and joining me today, as always, is our show's awesome producer, Amanda Foster. Hey. We are continuing our interview series with the Type 2 episode, and joining us today is Megan Forrest Farmer. Woo! Hello, 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 hello. Megan is a dear friend of mine, wonderful human all around, but also brilliant, creative stylist and just brilliant, creative in every way. I feel like everything she puts her hands to, the Lord blesses and multiplies in his glory just shines through everything, whether it's a blog post that she writes brilliantly or a style guide that she puts together or the way that God uses her in style sessions. She is powerfully used by God in so many ways. She's got such a brilliant perspective on the church and the world and on inner healing and she is one of the most self-aware type twos I know. So when I was thinking through who to invite to do this episode, I couldn't think of a better person. So I'm so excited that you're here. Wow. That was so nice. (laughs) Can you just like follow me around all day and say all those nice things? I would love to. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, so Megan, why don't, I know I've already said a little bit, but why don't you tell us just a little bit about your life, um, uh, where you're from, what you do, etc. Yeah. Um, so I'm so excited. Thank you for asking me to be here. This is going to be so fun. Um, so I'm from Texas, born and bred in kind of the North Texas area. Yep. Shout out Texas. Um, and I work in the fashion industry. I'm a fashion entrepreneur, which really means I do a lot of things in the fashion industry. Um, I have a background being an on-set photo shoot stylist, which means I picked out the clothes that the models wear and um, help them style their things when they're on their photo shoot sets, whether that's film or photo. Um, And then I transitioned a few years ago to doing that in addition to personal styling. So I have a personal styling business called The Considerary, um, where I help people develop their personal style as well as learn how to do that more sustainably. So building their wardrobe in a more ethical fashion, um, play on words there. And I, um, <laughs> I also am in the process of starting a garment factory here in Fort Worth. Um, it'll woo, be, woo. yeah, super excited. It'll be a cut and sew garment factory that will employ formerly incarcerated women, um, bringing them dignified jobs and bringing the t-shirt industry to be in Fort Worth and not just all over the globe. Um, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Like, what? It's so amazing. (laughs) Can you just share, like, obviously we want to dive into the Enneagram, but I would love to hear just a little bit of how you were inspired in that and in in creating jobs for people that are in prison or get coming out of prison. Yeah. Um, So when I was young and my mom found out how much I loved fashion and she was very nervous because she didn't know what to do with a daughter who worked in fashion because it seemed very vain and vapid and stereotypical, you know, superficial and all those things. So she told me when I was young, you need to find a way to make fashion help and not hurt. And so I just kind of had that in the back of my head, but Mm -hmm. you kind of blow it off and you go about your career and you do your own thing. Um, But as I started to understand kind of the atrocities that happen within the fashion industry, some of which you probably can all recognize, but then some that are a little bit deeper and have to do with the way that things are manufactured and production. Um, I just couldn't look away anymore. And so I started to care a lot about the way that things were made and who was making them and how much they were being paid and what it was being made with. And I became kind of a nerd about that. So that was kind of already happening. And that's kind of the crux at which I started my personal styling business. But then I was at the same time, a few years later, I was, um, 
volunteering at the local Tarrant County Jail, which is in Fort Worth. Um, just women who had been affected by the sex industry in some way, whether that means they were in there for prostitution right now or at some point in their life they had been. Um, and I, we would just go talk to them if they wanted to talk about Jesus. Awesome. If they didn't, awesome. We just wanted them to know that people on the outside of prison or jail loved them and were thinking and praying for them. Um, and so I was doing that with an organization called The Net in Fort Worth. And I just kept hearing something really similar and, and the same sentiment of, I want to get out. I want to take care of my family. I want a good job. I want to be able to pay my bills. Like all these things that seem so easy for a lot of us to do, um, but are not easy when you've experienced the level of trauma that a lot of these women have or choices that have they have made or most likely have been made for them um, prevent that. And so I was thinking about that. I was at the same time helping um, our local, my local church um, find t-shirts for something. And it was just really hard to find a t-shirt brand that was transparent and ethical, which was something I was passionate about. And so I just was like, God, maybe I should just be a liaison. Like I need to help these places find good t-shirts. And I felt so strongly him say, no, I want you to make these t-shirts. And I don't come from a manufacturing background. So that was a very scary thought. Um, But it's been a beautiful journey. And so um, just knowing that these women have the same level of creativity as you and I, it just maybe didn't get to be unlocked in the same way because of opportunities that you and I maybe had that maybe they didn't. Um, But they still have creativity. They still have um, dignity. Their identity still can be in Christ. Like all of those things are so important. And I want them to have an, an opportunity for dignified employment. Um, it's really hard to find a job after jail. It's almost impossible. There's a lot of standards and requirements you have to meet. You have to get a job. You have to get a place to live. You have to meet your parole requirements. It's so much. And so finding a job is really hard when you don't have a car and you don't have a place to live, but that's what you have to do. It's just a crazy cycle. And so if I can be in any way a part of helping them find jobs, then I want to be a part of that. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's so incredible. And I, every time I hear this, I've heard this story a couple of times, but every time I hear it, it's just, it so inspires me. It challenges me and like, man, I should volunteer to, like, I, like, you know, like, like I, you know, I feel like as believers, we are called to, um, be the hands and feet of Jesus to like do local outreach. And, um, I feel like you so beautifully display one of the greatest gifts of a type two, which is to identify the needs of others. They, they have this awareness, this ability. Yes, they carry empathy, but they also see tangible needs and are quick to meet them. They're, they're, they're naturally, their mind is naturally oriented, oriented towards, how can I care for others? And, um, and of course, like, and we'll get into it a little bit more. There's, there's some subconscious motivation there that like the Lord has to redeem, but it's, and, and when we talk about the Enneagram, at least here, we talk about, um, the way that God has gifted us that the enemy tries to twist and use against us. And there is such a beautiful gift in you to see the needs of others, to see what, what a need there is in two multiple areas you're saying oh the church has a need they don't realize that the church is perpetuating this problem in the fashion industry and we can help but they don't see that yet and you're seeing a need for employment for women who have gone through it and are being set up for failure when they're released from prison and I love just how you have in that awareness and and how the Lord has led you brought those two things together in order to serve the body of Christ and in the world in such a beautiful way. It's, it's both ministry to the church and to the world. And I think it's one of, it's just, it's such a beautiful vision to me. So thank you. Thank yeah. You. 
Okay, so let's dive into the Enneagram. Okay, so how did you first come across the Enneagram? So I've always been super interested in different personality typing, typology. Hadn't heard about the Enneagram a whole lot. Was doing like Myers-Briggs and all that kind of stuff. And then a friend brought it up to me. She was listening to like uh, discs, like um, what do you call that? Books on disc or books on CD. Mm -hmm. Um, And she had all these like nine different discs. And she was listening to them and she was kind of telling me about it. And it sounded super interesting. But we'll probably talk about strength finder at some point, but I have input in my top strengths, which means I like to like dive in and really research something. So I kept kind of putting it off because I was like, I feel like I'm going to get a little obsessed with this and I'm going to want to look it up completely. (laughs) So I waited. So it was probably about four or five years ago. I got super into it when I had the time to read books and listen to podcasts and it just changed my perspective on myself, but really has just been a tool for empathy um, for me to have for others. And it's helped a ton in my marriage. So been super cool. So cool. How long have you been married? Uh, we have been married almost four years. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Yeah. Almost four years. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And, and what is your husband's Enneagram type? Um, Brent, my husband, is a nine. Awesome. Um, my husband, too. The nines are the best husbands. <laughs> Just kidding. They're great, though. <laughs> um, so... Um, so what does that look like in your marriage as you've learned about the Enneagram? Well, wait, first, um, what was your, the, the first disc that you listened to? Like, what were the first books you listened to? What were the resources that you got a hold of in that season? So I think one of the, I believe I read The Road Back to You, mm-hmm. um, Ian Morgan Cron and Susan Stabile. Um, and I started listening to Suzanne Stabile's podcast pretty mm-hmm. frequently, um, And I think that was kind of my initial. And then I just started like Googling and researching. Um, I read that like really crazy looking textbook one um, that's blue and has Enneagram on the front with a dove. And I can't remember the name of it. Oh, yeah. Um, That one is a Riso and Hudson book. Um, I think that's, uh, is that Discovering the Enneagram or Personality Types? I think it's Discovering the Enneagram. Yeah. Yeah. Because Personality Types is like red, yellow, and green. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. We're visual here, apparently. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I kind of use that as more like an index. Like anytime I had a question, because I wouldn't buy it, I just kept checking it out from the library. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just would make notes. Um, So I think those were some of the first. I love that you're checking out books from the library. (laughs) Oh, huge library That's awesome. Oh my gosh. I love the library so much. (laughs) But input as one of your strengths. Like, wow. Makes a little more sense. Makes a lot of sense yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay awesome so as you were learning about the Enneagram as you were um, absorbing content from books and uh, podcasts how what did this look like in your marriage so I would naturally talk about everything I was learning and my husband is wonderful and he would listen and be patient and probably looked at me a little crazy at first because you're saying these things like I'm a number and you're a number and they're like <laughs> colors but different shades and you're just saying all this kind of nonsense to someone who doesn't really understand um but then he and I I my instinct was to push it on him mm-hmm. be like you should figure this out because I want to know what you are so I can understand you better and you can understand me better from like a very kind of prideful controlling place and when I kind of surrendered it and was like if you want to read the book I would love that I think it'd be really cool for us to do this together but I'll let you kind of decide and he did and it took him a very long time to read it because he takes a lot long, longer to read books and so it worked on my patience a lot because I was like I just want to know what you <laughs> yeah. are um, but he figured it out pretty quickly and once he got into it it almost became annoying. We would be at like dinner parties and we would start talking about it and he would start talking about it more than me. And I was like, Brent, <laughs> you don't even know that much. <laughs> you learned that from me. That was secondhand information. But he got really excited about it because in our marriage, it unlocked something 
where we were able to communicate. We had a shared language. We Mm -hmm. understood where the other one was coming from. Whereas I kind of had this perception when we got married that Brent was potentially lazy, like that he just didn't want to do stuff. But it wasn't that. It was like it had so much to do with his energy. It had so much Mm -hmm. to do with his motivation and like it changed so much in the way that I viewed him in such a positive way. I was able mm-hmm. to extend so much more grace and understanding and same to me from him. Like a lot of the times in marriage, you have these kind of core issues that everything comes back to like these five yeah. things. Um, and a lot of times it's personality differences in the way you view the world is different. Um, yeah. So when you understand what those are, you're able to communicate so much clearly clearer of like, okay, I think this is where you're coming from. And we don't use the Enneagram as like a, we don't weaponize it where it's like, mm-hmm. Oh, well, you're doing that because you're a nine. Instead, it's saying, okay, this is what I think you're doing based on what I learned about you recently. Would you say that's correct? And he can tell me no or yes. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's like, that's not it at all. And sometimes it's like, absolutely, this is very much a nine thing for me. Um, But then you have to trust the other person too. And you can't just use weird preconceived notions about what you've learned about the Enneagram against them. And you have to say, okay, I trust you that that's what's happening and not what I think is happening. (laughs) Because you can put, you can kind of use the Enneagram and like put these stereotypes on, you know, your husband or just a friend or whoever. Mm -hmm. And, and that's not good. So you have to trust them when they say no, it's just. You know. Well, and I love so much that before you started applying it and pushing it on, like you didn't push it on your husband. You, one, you learned about all the types first. You went deep first and you gave him time to actually learn about it and truly learn about it before you dove into all this dialogue and started talking to other people about it. And I feel like that's where a lot of people get hung up as they pick here and there a little bit of knowledge. They read mm-hmm. the summary and they think they understand it and it causes so much harm. Um, either to marriage relationships or just to other people as they're talking about it. And it's, I, I just, I love your process and how you went about that and how much respect and honor you showed both for Brent and yourself. I, I love it so much because one of the things I'm so excited about and so passionate about in applying the Enneagram in a coaching setting is doing marriage coaching. I've done it a little bit and I just see so much potential for it to powerfully transform and heal marriages. And yeah, I, in ways that, you know, and really it's just an open door to give language for the Holy Spirit to do a work. The Holy Spirit is the one that does the transformation and does the work, but having language, Mm -hmm. it it helps so much in that process. So yeah. And learning about your type, uh, Enneagram type two, uh, what have you resonated with the most? Mm, So many things that I hate, (laughs) but also some really great things. Um, I think, unfortunately, like, depending on who your teacher is, the core sin or Mm -hmm. whatever you call it, um, is pride in the two. And I think that was like what sealed the deal because I have historically struggled with a lot of pride. Um, And in twos, it can look really different because there's a lot of humility, but there's a lot of false humility too. And so I think that that was a really hard realization, but it helped me to see, cause I was already realizing that I had pride, like separately, I was doing some self-work and realizing that pride was such a thing in me. Um, and when I saw that that was its core motivation, I was struggling to figure out what number I was cause I did not want to be a two. I kept reading about it and was like, this is the last number I want to be, which is pretty common mm-hmm. um, because we hold a mirror up to ourselves and think, oh, this is what I'm really like. I don't know how I feel about this. And yeah. so that was one of the first things was seeing pride and seeing that 
-hmm. it manifests. And to be completely honest, I feel like the Enneagram is harshest on twos out of all the numbers. And I think it's because um, culturally we view the the subconscious motivations is like we we view the two as like well we want twos to help us we don't want them to stop helping us don't don't make them stop it's yeah. okay if they're doing <laughs> it to earn attention like mm-hmm. let them do that and and like isn't isn't the two like the proverbs 31 wife like i feel oh, like yeah. everyone kind mm-hmm. of associates yeah. the two together and there's like this weird like which is not even what the proverbs 31 woman is no yeah. exactly but it's yeah. That was a huge hurdle for me. Like, it made me kind of hate the Enneagram for a second because I had fought so hard to not be this stereotype Southern Christian woman of like, this is what it looks like to be a woman in the South and be a Christian. And I didn't want that. I had a really amazing mom who didn't show me that as a model. And I liked that. Like, I liked the model. And what was your mom's type? She's an eight. And so I had this really strong mom who like will fight for you till Mm -hmm. the end and so loyal and like will challenge any coach or teacher growing up. Like (laughs) you just have this fighter mom. And then I'm the two. I'm the one that's like the opposite of her. It was just, it was like killing me inside. I remember calling my husband when I finally realized it, I was listening to a podcast and I called him and I was like, I'm a two. I think I was crying. And I was like, and if you're not a Harry Potter fan, you won't get this. But I was like, I just want to be a Gryffindor. And I think I'm a Hufflepuff. That is so relatable. That's so great. I was losing it. I was like, this cannot be me. I just want to be brave and strong and true and all of these things. And I'm the two. I'm the like housewife, which there's nothing wrong with being a housewife. But that's like not what I thought I was, which is not what a two is. It's not what a two is. It's what a stereotype two is. And And Brant was so... So good in that moment. And he said, he brought me back to think about my dad. And we're not sure what my dad is. He's still kind of figuring it out, but mm-hmm. probably somewhere in the six, nine, three triad. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, you know, your mom is so strong and so amazing and such like an awesome leader, but your dad is also really strong and amazing leader. And he does things differently. Like he leads a little like from behind and he leads a little quieter sometimes. And that's good too. Like it's okay for you to be like your dad too. It's okay for you to be like both of them. And it was super helpful in that moment because I was like, my dad is strong and my dad is powerful, but he's also like, sometimes we'll take things a little slower and quieter and that's not bad. And so it helped me to see like, being a two does not mean this certain stereotype of a type of woman mm-hmm. that unfortunately a lot of women think they have to be a two to be a good wife yeah. or be a and, good And genuinely, mom. I think every so there, every number has the potential to be that because we are we there's so much pressure in conservative Christian culture to look a certain way and be a certain way. I think twos maybe fall into that a little more commonly, but it's it's almost like you know yeah, like twos can be a Gryffindor. Of course, you're a Gryffindor. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah, I get to choose. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Sorting out, like everyone, choose. every every woman in conservative Christian culture has the potential to be a Hufflepuff. But right, <laughs> but but I in the the twos that I know, they are so so passionate and have such strong belief, and they they are leaders of the charge and making things right, and they 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 want to help people in a way that is tangible and impactful for the kingdom of God. And they carry compassion and in, in, in such a, a championing way that, um, and that's, that's who they're called to be in the body of Christ. And so really who you're, that's who you're called to be. You are called to be a Gryffindor. So like, whatever, Thank you. you're not. <laughs> 
just gonna speak that over you right now. Appreciate but some that. people love to be Hufflepuffs. So nothing wrong if with you're out there and that's what you Hufflepuff, want. Like, <laughs> nothing wrong with it. That's They're totally amazing. cool. And then there's a whole group of people listening that are like, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> this is very true. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. Okay. What have you been the most challenged by in learning about the Enneagram? The concept of giving to get, that mm. was super hard. And I I can look back and see so many examples of that. It's As I've become aware of that, it's helped. But even still in my relationship with the Lord, I can see myself doing that. Mm-hmm. Like with the way you give your time or give your money, I can see my heart, if it's not in a healthy place, start to be like, I'm really doing this because I want you to love me more, because I want you to bless me, instead of it being this genuine outpouring because of how much he loves me. And so yeah. that was super hard to see and I can see it in like tangible ways and friendships of like I was going into debt before I got married like throwing parties for people and buying gifts because I just thought I had to be the best gift giver and I had to like give all these things to earn friendship Mm. to like and now I have to I stop myself and I don't give as many gifts and I don't throw as many parties and I think it's a sign of maturity because I've realized okay you don't have to do that to be friends with someone and so if you do want to bless them with a gift it's great but if you're going into debt that's not a good sign that's not good stewardship and so so the giving to get has been really mm. tough one to like realize that it was in me. And that has a lot to do with the pride again of like thinking that I need to be the best. I need to be the best gift giver. I need to be the best at throwing parties. I need to be the best host. And if I'm not, these friends will not love me. And that's mm. not what friendship is. Right. But that is like what the enemy loves to tell me as this too. I don't know if he tells the other twos this, but that like you can be rejected if you don't do these things or you are not worthy of love if you do not do these things. And it's so not true. And it's so easy to combat once we know it. And mm-hmm. we're like, okay, that's absolutely not true. There's proof of friendships not like that. Um, but also there's probably proof of friendships that have been like that. And so then the enemy kind of uses those of like, yeah. well, remember this friend though mm. and remember this friend. Mm-hmm. And so in those weak moments of like, oh my gosh, yes, I, I do need to give more. I do need to do more. I need to be the first person to text. I need to be the first person to reach out or this friendship is going to fail and it puts all this burden on me but it's from the wrong place it's from this place of like trying to harbor friends as opposed to like naturally letting it happen the way friendship should happen um so yeah that was a super tough tough part what have you learned about valuing yourself in healing in that space and not trying to earn um, earn validation, earn relationship, earn love, earn friendship, uh, that, that motivation to be the best. Do you think there's, there's a puzzle piece in that of, um, like understand, seeing yourself differently, understanding your value differently that the Lord's done a work in? Cause I, I hardly see that in you at all. Like in the year and a half, two years I've known you, something like that. Like, I, I don't see that in you. And I think they're, they're not, and I really do mean, I think you're one of the most self-aware twos I know um, within that. But what is the Lord done? What is the work that he's done in teaching you about your value um, to stop that cycle of trying to earn love? Yeah. Um, I think he's put good friends in my life to help mm. that. Cause I think, you know, it's like when a parent tells you something all day and they're like, you're so beautiful. You're so good at this thing. And you're like, okay, mom, I know it's because you're my mom. Like I can get that way a little <laughs> bit with God. Like, yeah. okay, you're just saying all those nice things because you made me and yeah. I'm in your image that's and you love so, me. That's so relatable. But yeah. like to for him to place friendships in my life that are like, hey, 
you don't have to do that. Or for me to be willing to be vulnerable and say, okay, I'm going to do this thing just so you know, and you may have to stop me. And if you see me start doing that thing, tell me that I'm doing that thing. Or if you see that I mm. am refu- I'm withholding and not answering your questions, it's because I'm worried that you're going to reject me. And so I'm self-protecting first. And so mm-hmm. it's like by the Lord kind of taking the scales off my eyes to that about myself, I was able to be vulnerable with friends and with my husband and people that I'm close with and say, hey, I might do this because I'm still having a hard time. Will you let me know if I'm doing it. Um, and so by inviting people into it, that's been super helpful because mm-hmm. it also takes away the shame and to struggle with shame a ton. I struggle with shame a ton. And so by being able to take away the shame and the vulnerability mm. hangover that can come after you've done that mm. and having friends be like, Hey, are you feeling some shame right now? Cause that's not from the Lord. Like just being able that's to so good. have those friends and twos can also be codependent. So it has to be this like, I'm first relying on the Lord and being dependent on him. And then I get to invite people into that space because he's already revealed the truth to me. And now I get to reveal it to others and they can partner with me in that journey. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I'm just like, that like blew me away. That was good. Yeah, no, that was really good. Um, so what I'm hearing you say is that you created accountability by setting boundaries for yourself and relationships with other people and asking them to hold you accountable to those boundaries that you were setting for yourself. Yeah. So you loved yourself well by creating parameters. Yeah. So I think for the two, something that I see a lot and and as I've researched and come to understand the two and I'm still learning, um, is that twos, they value everybody else more than themselves. They value everybody else's needs more than themselves. And they feel like they don't matter enough to directly ask for what they want or yeah. need or um, for the the validation or the care, the love, the concern, gifts, time, you know, wanting somebody to give you gifts and throw you a party. Um, the way that you do for others, a lot of times they will do that for others, hoping that it, it'll be returned. And so kind of what I've seen happen in twos and is, is part of that healing is learning to care for themselves. Um, and that move from two to four is, is realizing like, Oh, I can, I can be okay sitting with my emotions and it is not wrong and selfish for me to take time to feel this and to take time to, to care for myself. And that's the space to grieve or to heal or to rest. What does rest look like for you? And, and what does grief look like for you in learning to heal and make space for yourself on that journey from two to four? Yeah. Rest is still a fairly new concept. That's like in the last couple of years, I've actually been doing it um, where it's like real Sabbath rest, connecting with your soul, that kind of rest. Not yeah. just like I watched the office all day. I'm rested. That's not that's not actual rest yeah. um, for me. Um, so to get to that place of going from that two to four Um, a lot of times I have to, I'll pray about how to spend my day because otherwise I'll just do a ton of stuff because I'm, I I don't know if you've talked about orientation to time, but the two loves to do. And Mm -hmm. so we do a lot. We like check a lot of things off of our list and it makes us feel good. And I've got a wing three, so even more, but Mm -hmm. if, so I can end up doing that on a rest day where I'm like, I'm going to do all the things I love to do when I rest. And instead, sometimes I need to sit and pray about what things I actually need to do. What is Mm going to be restful and helpful for me for this next week? Um, and so sometimes that looks like being quiet, like you said, and listening to instrumental music only or no music and sitting outside, um, letting the Lord speak to me instead of just letting my mind go crazy and find out all the solutions for other people instead of what the 
solutions are for me. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it is like journaling um, mm-hmm. and writing. And a lot of times it's just writing to the Lord. I don't necessarily journal just for myself. It's like journaling with the Lord and processing that way because yeah. I'm a verbal processor, which means... I want to do it out loud with other people, but sometimes I need to be by myself. Mm-hmm. And so by doing that on paper, it almost feels the same. Yeah. Um, so being able to do that and then just like things that make me feel like there's magic. Like I don't know what ah, other way to that. say it, but like I, I went to four earlier today because I was resting and I was reading this like magazine book kind of thing. And it just, it had all these exercises that helped me go to this really creative spot and not just creative in fashion, like creative mm-hmm. in my mind of going to like, being nostalgic. And one of the things I wrote down to do when I was resting was like, be like a kid today, like be full of wonder today. And that's such a four thing to do of like going to that place and like uh, building kingdoms in your head or listening to a music score. So it feels like you're like running through the forest and Lord of the Rings or something like, like something (laughs) like that. (laughs) You're speaking my language. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So like things like that have been super restful. And then I get creative and it's not just in the way I normally am creative. It's like this new fun way. Um, mm-hmm. So that's been super helpful. And then with grief, I have fortunately not had to face a ton of grief in my life. And that's not to say it will come, not come. Um, but in my family, we handled things a lot with humor and not in a negative way where we like avoided yeah. it. We talked about it and we were real about it, but we were also, we really trusted the Lord and we still yeah. really trust the Lord. And so we just handled things with humor. My dad was diagnosed with cancer when I was in college and he is well and fine and has no more cancer. I forgot what the word is for that. Um, But (laughs) in remission. Yeah. But when we were in it, like that could have been a super like gut wrenching process, but and it was in some ways because it's scary, but we were able to like address it with humor and realness and take care of each other in that way. So I think I still carry that a little bit and my instinct can be to call all of my siblings first and see how they're doing um, and make sure they're okay. And then I will process how I'm feeling. And that's still, yeah. that's still, I'm still there. Um, mm-hmm. But my grandfather passed away recently and it was my first opportunity to really like as an adult who's a little more self-aware handle grief, knowing that my instinct will be to call everybody else. And so I let myself feel the emotion first. I cried. I like tried to analyze how I was feeling because as a two, it's really hard to say how I'm feeling. And maybe mm-hmm. that's not this every two, but that's this two. No, that's a, Ex- that's a two characteristic okay. for sure. Expressing for someone to ask me how I'm feeling. Oh, like I don't know. I can tell you how you're feeling, mm-hmm. but I am probably not going to be able to tell you how I'm feeling. I can wow, sense yeah. everybody else's feelings in the room, but for you to ask me mine, it's so hard to be in touch with that part of myself. Yeah. Um, and so I took that moment and Brent encouraged me like, okay, before you call anybody, like let's make sure you take time to just sit and do what you need to do. Um, and it was hard. It was weird. I wanted, my instinct was just like, just call your siblings, just figure out if everybody's okay. Um, but I just needed to take a few minutes or moments or however long and make sure like I was connecting with the Lord first and figuring out what I was feeling before I moved on. Yeah. Well, I love that Brent was able to lead you into that space um, of just keep holding you accountable, knowing what your tendency is going to be, having learned about one another and being aware of what you needed in that moment, which is just so special and so beautiful. So as you were talking, I was thinking about a couple of things that like the Lord's been doing lately. Like I've been um, like the Lord's been having me like make a cup of coffee and then go sit out on the bench swing on my front porch and like not take my phone and just sit in silence and drink my cup of coffee until it's done and not set a timer and just like it's like so like 
frivolous. Like it's so great. <laughs> and um, and I just love what the Lord's done in that space. And as as a seven, I think sevens and twos both want to stay on the move. Mm-hmm. Um, want to oh, keep yeah. um, sevens, twos, threes, eights, ones. Sometimes depending on the Myers Briggs type, all those numbers tend to want to stay in constant motion. And so it's super hard for me to sit still and and just let my mind stop racing and sit in silence. It's really challenging. It's really challenging mm-hmm. for twos as well. Yeah. Um, and so Sabbath rest for a long time, Sabbath rest, John, and I would just like chill around the house all day and watch shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then we learned we, we both do so much better if we get outside or we go paddleboarding and we take the dogs for a walk or um, we spend time outdoors or I spend time in silence or I sit down and journal for an extended period of time. Um, and one thing I've been doing lately is I bought like a cheap bottle of bubbles. And oh, so fun. And so I love, I love so much that you said, like finding like the, the magic. Mm-hmm. Like I, this, I, I've, I've have been thinking a lot about this concept of like pure magic. Like mm-hmm. what in life is pure magic and like bubbles. Bubbles mm-hmm. are like so magical yes. and they just yeah. create wonder and joy and, and, and it brings you into that childlike space. And so doing something like silly and, oh, yeah. um, and, and like dancing and music and, um, sitting down at the piano for a while, like those kind of things. And so I feel like it's important to take the time to talk about rest, especially in the two episode, because it's such a huge, huge piece of, of a two's growth and growth in the Lord. Um, so I'm so glad that you said those things. So do you tend to have more positive or negative feelings towards your personality? Mm. I think for them at the beginning, especially of knowing the Enneagram, I think I had more negative feelings. But in general, I'm getting closer to 30, which I'm really excited about. I have been way more into who I am, like way more confident in the way that God made me personality wise and like loving who I am. And that's been a newer installment in the last, I would say, like year and a half um, of being more confident in what I'm called to and who I am and all of those things. Um, So, yeah, that's that's been a newer thing, but it's taken a while to get there. There's a lot. I think I don't know if all twos do this, but um, I can kind of portray a lot of confidence on the outside. And I'm actually, I'm a pretty confident person, but there is also a lot of shame and a lot of like things that thoughts that come just like they attack everybody else. Um, And so by being honest about those, instead of hiding Mm -hmm. for so long behind them of like, I've got to be strong. I got to be take care of everybody else. Nobody can know that I'm struggling too. When I stopped doing that and started being honest and more vulnerable with people of like, actually I'm having a really hard day today. Like I don't feel like a superhero today. Um, that helped a ton and that helped yeah. me care more, like care for my personality more, but also be more okay with who I am because I was able to be honest about it and then mm-hmm. affirmed by people and like, Hey, thanks for being honest. And this is what I see. And, and also the same with the Lord doing that same process with the Lord. Yeah, man. It's, it's so beautiful and so powerful that you were able to one, learn the Enneagram in from a resource, the road back to you isn't as bad. Um, but I mean, like Risa and Hudson's content is really harsh towards twos. And, and to be able to take that hit that can sometimes take people out, like take people like, man, it, it hurts when, and when you're, you're faced with, oh, I am helping people out of pride. Like that is painful. Yeah. And to face that and process that and own that 
and let let it be exposing. Like it's it's so exposing, it's so painful. And to walk through that journey to get to the other side where you are you're self-aware, you're setting, you're creating accountability for the boundaries that you're setting for yourself. And you're making time to rest. You're making time to be a healthy you so you can change the world for God's glory in all the ways that you do. Um, and be more present in relationships, love people better. Um, and then all the way to being able to actually like enjoy the way that God's created you, which I think, I think is so beautiful. And I think, I, I just think about like the Lord's heart when we start to like love the way that he has made us, like what that does to the Lord's heart and just um, what that means to him. Like, I think it's so beautiful. So I just, I love it. Anyway. <laughs> um, okay. So real quick, do you know uh, your, any subtypes, your wing? Uh, you said earlier that you were a two wing three, mm-hmm. uh, any other uh, Myers-Briggs, strength finders, all that other personality information. Yeah. So two wing three, um, ENFP, uh, strength top strength is individualization and then input and then the last three I always forget the order but strategic um, activator achiever mm-hmm. somewhere in there um, yeah those are the main things that I, I keep up with okay awesome and then um, last question are there uh, stereotypes of your type that you feel um, have been spoken to you or over you that have been harmful or that um or you feel like are just flat out not true um that I love to cook and clean because <laughs> that is not true um <laughs> and not that I mean that's kind of one of those stereotype yeah. ones but I think a lot of people expect it from it too yeah or that like we just have this certain type of femininity that is different than all other numbers and it's just not true that's, that's not we accurate. go to eight y'all we like get stuff done like it's yeah. not just two 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 all the time like mm-hmm. we go to other things we have wings i think that sometimes it's this misconception of like they love to cook and clean and just take care of people and be a nurse and like i can never be a nurse because i hate ivs and i don't enjoy cooking and i don't enjoy cleaning so like all of the stereotypes do not fit and if somebody assumes that about me it drives me crazy because it's definitely not true and then also like what does it bring into the conversation to have like a male too as well like exactly think about how hurtful those stereotypes are oh yeah So true. So true. Well, Megan, thank you so much for being here today. This conversation has been so enlightening and powerful. And I'm just praying that the Lord uses it in the life of every two listening, that you hear that you do not have to fit any stereotype, that um, you are powerfully created by God to bring awareness of the needs of others, to champion others, to be strong and passionate and powerful. And... um, yeah, I I loved this interview so much. Thank you so much for being our guest. Thank you for having me. This was wonderful. Really appreciate everything you guys do. All the podcasts are so amazing. All right, that's it for today. Tune in next week for our Type 3 interview. Bye. <laughs>
<laughs> I'm so grateful for those of you who have been listening and sharing the podcast. Um, take a minute and think of someone in your life you think would benefit from this episode and share it with them. Um, if you love this episode or if you learned something new today, leave a review on iTunes. Follow us on Instagram at uh, Originality Podcast or at my personal Instagram at Just Loves Personality. And make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a thing. I would like to close out our time together with a quote from C.S. Lewis. No man who bothers about originality will ever be original. Whereas if you simply try to tell the truth, you'll become original without ever having noticed it. Until next time.